Welcome to the Evangel Temple Youth Ministries podcast. We pray that this message would be instrumental in God speaking to you and drawing you closer to Him. Now, here's today's sermon. So, we're going to be singing just a very simple song. It's a song that a lot of us probably know, but for those of you who don't, it's a song that uh, one of you grow up in the church, you hear it all the time as a kid. Feel free to sing along if you know what it is. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Little ones to him belong, they are sweet, but he is we're going to start over again. You know why? Because I messed up, but also we're giggling a lot. All right, everybody, settle down. You need to get your Googles out. I'm going to do it now. Let's go and get it out. It's fine. It's fine. We got a little bit of extra time. This is our worship set. We're all part of it. We're all part of the worship band. All right. Take a deep breath if you need to. Close your eyes. And sing the words. But the thing is, let's actually think about what the words are saying as we go into tonight's message. Jesus loves me, this I know. For the Bible tells me so. Little ones to him belong. They are weak, but he is strong. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. The Bible tells me so. We've been diving into this series on prayer. It's just called Dear God, for those of you who haven't really been around. And in it, we've been kind of addressing some aspects of prayer. Now, during the first week, we just kind of covered this idea of why it is that we pray. And the second week, we kind of covered the things that can happen in our lives that can kind of be roadblocks to our prayer almost getting heard. We take a look at different examples in Scripture that kind of seem to be those things that get in the way of what we're trying to pray to God. I want us to be able to tackle it from a different perspective. Because whenever I pray, I typically find myself in a really weird situation where I don't exactly think about who it is that I'm praying to. I really don't, and I think that it happens with a lot of believers that we don't exactly think that much about the receiving end of these prayers. You know, we know that there's something, we know that there's someone that's listening to these things, but we don't exactly think about who that is all the time. And so I think that this weird thing happens that uh, we're able to see almost the manifestation of that whenever we kind of face these weird and stressful times because we never really thought about who it is that we're praying to, and so everything in our prayers, whenever tough stuff comes up, is all about the needs that we have, the wants that we have. Lord, get me out of this situation. Lord, help me with this. And so instead of focusing so much on the what are we praying for tonight, 
I wanna focus more about who we're praying to. I wanna kind of explain what I mean by this, and in fact, I have like 20 minutes to be able to do that, that's what you're here for. But in 1968, a man by the name of Ed Ames, he wrote a song about this very question. In short, it's called, Who Will Answer? He says, from the canyons of the mind, we wander on and stumble blind. We through the often tangled maze of starless nights and sunless days while asking for some kind of clue, a road to lead us to the truth, but who will answer? On a strange and distant hill, a young man's lying very still. His arms will never hold his child because a bullet running wild has struck him down. And now he cried, dear God, oh why, oh why? But who will answer? In the rooms of dark and shades, the scent of sandalwood pervades. The colored thoughts and muddled heads reclining in the rumpled beds of unmade dreams that can't come true. When we ask what we should do, who? Who will answer? And the chorus of the song reads very simply, if the soul is darkened by a fear it cannot name, and if the mind is baffled when the rules don't fit the game, who will answer? Who will answer? Who will answer? Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Now you notice throughout this song that Adams does not bring up particularly light issues. He doesn't like, you know, go into your run of the mill every day or every week issues where it's like you're dealing with people that maybe you kind of wish that you weren't or you're kind of in situations where you just feel like you've had a bad mood all day. No, I mean, he, you know, he talks about a lot of things in this song. There are verses that talk about failed marriage. There are verses like this one that talked about a man that won't be able to hold his child anymore. It talks about dreams that are never going to be able to come true. And it talks about whenever fear and confusion is never going to make sense. But he never asks what the answer is. Because you ask what the answer is whenever you're in school and you're dealing with the math problem or a science equation or some kind of formula of any kind where you're able to input this, you're able to input this, you're able to input this, you're able to figure out how, the, how all these things relate together, then you get your answer right over here. It doesn't work like that. It really doesn't. And so kind of the main idea is I want us to focus on who we pray to rather than what we pray about. And the big question that I really want us to be able to dive into is kind of what this prayerful relationship looks like. Because I think even at your age, there are kind of some harsh situations that you yourselves even dive into. Sure, it may not necessarily be your child, but you, I know that some of you have probably had friends or close family members that have passed away, leaving you with the question of why. I know that a lot of you guys have probably dealt with situations where, you know, whether it's at school or even here at church or at home, and you're dealing with somebody and you're kind of asking yourself, how could somebody be this rotten and be this mean? Why is this happening? Or you're dealing with, you're dealing with situations in your own life and you're asking yourself, why do I keep on you know, panicking about this? Why am I so anxious about this? Why does this always have me so sad whenever I think about this aspect of myself? 
And you just ask why. But we don't really ask ourselves who it is that we expect to answer the question. And so I think that by examining this process of prayer, we very much have to dive into the who aspect. And so I want us to go in and dive into that. And I think that one of the first places to start is a prayerful relationship begins with knowing what God's character is. Now I want us to go in and dive into some prayers that we see in scripture. I'm gonna show you one from the Old Testament and one from the New Testament. So that way I can tell you guys that there's two fancy parts of this. And so the first example I'm gonna have, both of these are pretty well-known examples. Uh, The first one is Psalm 23. Now Psalm 23, for those of you that have your Bibles or you you know it, or even if you don't know it, it reads like this. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters, he restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And I think that so many times whenever we take a look at this, even as an example of prayer, we take a look at the fact that he's talking about something very eminent to him. Now David in this time was uh, essentially on the run from people who were actually wanting to take his life. It wasn't people that were wanting to, you know, cyberbully him on social media. It wasn't people that he was gonna have to avoid when walking in the hallways. No, these were people that were hunting him and that at most moments notices could have absolutely just killed him. They could have killed him. And yet still we see that he doesn't focus so much on that situation as much as he decides to focus on who God is. He says, the Lord is my shepherd. He restores my soul. And he leads me in the paths of righteousness. Now the New Testament example is going to be from Matthew 6. Matthew 6, verses 9 through 13. And it reads, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. You know, we see it here too. We see it here talking about who God is. God is in heaven. His name is meant to be above everything else. His kingdom come, his will. We don't see it in our prayers that often that we're even willing to bypass some of our own needs just to say it that simply. But what about just in God's character that we can kind of see in the fruits of the spirit? Because there's a, those are described later on by Paul. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control. There's eight of them. I was able to count that high. In college, it works. So, yeah, right? Um, Thank you. That was very nice. Um, 
But we see that in Old Testament and New Testament, how God is able to exemplify these different characteristics. We see all the way from the creation story how he wanted to create us so that way he could love us as his own children. We see the joy that he's able to have for us whenever we see so many different stories in scripture being able to have people see what God has for him. We see the peace that Jesus is able to bring to something as physical as a storm on a sea to something as inward as the storms in somebody's mind. Whenever we come to him with our mistakes, he's patient and he's kind and he's faithful to never let us down. He's good to us. And in certain times of the Old Testament, he's able to keep his wrath from burning against us as well. But I think it goes a little bit further than just looking at the Bible and seeing these different characteristics of God. And Isaac hit on it a lot in fact, it was kind of the main theme of his message last week. But I think that the thing that we've got to focus on next is that we have to be honest about our own situation. Now let's take a look at David's situation in Psalm 23. You know, he says, I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. I can't think of more terrifying imagery. I really can't. I mean, unless he was talking about like some gauntlet that he's going through with blades and bullets whizzing past him. But then at the same time, guns weren't exactly invented yet. That would be kind of impressive if he did reference them. But he doesn't sugarcoat any of what he's going through here. I don't think that we should. And I think that one of the biggest roadblocks that we have in our prayers is that we want to bring something before God that we feel like he can use. You know, whenever I was a kid, there was this, uh, there was this, toolbox that I made for my dad. It was my first church camp ever. And we were given these little kits. And the counselors were in charge of screwing everything together and screwing it in the right place. So my job was to paint the thing and then say that I made it. I did not make it. I painted it. It's a very different thing. I can recognize that now. And it's fine. (laughs) I made it. It's fine. Um... But, you know, I got to paint it red here, red there, red th- a lot of red. And then I uh, got some blue on the handle, maybe some yellow letters. I think it, I put dad on there because I was still at an age where I thought that w- that's what his name was. And <coughs> I brought it home to him, and I saw him try to put some stuff in there. And it could only fit about two or three of, like, his smaller tools in there. It wasn't very useful at all. And I'm pretty sure whenever he would carry it around, it would, like, you know, be weighed, like, really heavy to one side or the other. So he could never really, like, carry it around very even at all, and stuff would be falling out of it. It wasn't a good good toolbox. But I will say, I'm now 21. You can count that high still. Um, I'm now 21, and my dad, he's moved a couple different times now since then. And he's gone through so many different tools that have just kind of worn out on him. But still, in that shed of theirs in the backyard on that workbench still sits that little red toolbox. He didn't keep it because it's useful. He kept it because I made it for him. I made it for him. 
C.S. Lewis puts it simply like this. We must lay before him what is in us, not what ought to be in us. And it doesn't amaze me that we sometimes feeling like whenever we're diving into prayer that it almost feels like we're getting ourselves ready for some kind of job interview. That like, you know, even whenever we feel like we're coming up to these moments, uh, whether it's at the altar at camp or whenever we're just praying by ourselves, we almost kind of like, you know, you know, look in the mirror, you know, kind of give ourselves the pep talk. You can do this, you can do this, you can do this. As if like, you know, God couldn't already hear us before. And then we come before him, like, you know, we straighten up our tie and then we say, this is what I have to give you. And this is, these are the good things that I've done today. And these are the things that I want from you. And you said that you would do them, so gotcha. And then we kind of just expect him to be able to do that for us. You know, I kind of feel like it's like this transaction where it's like we're going to Chuck E. Cheese with a bunch of counterfeit $1 bills, going up to that token machine trying to put it in there and trying to get some happy tokens out of there. But the fact is the machine just kind of spits it back out at us. And so whenever we kind of come with these counterfeit, these things that are very, very close to what are our actual needs, very close to what it is that we actually bring before God, we shouldn't be surprised whenever we don't get any, anything in return from it. And it's not like, it's almost as if like we're trying to go in there with like a counterfeit $20 bill when the machine is just saying, I don't want that, I want your real $1 bill. And I think that much like that machine, he just wants what's genuine from us. And the thing is, I can tell you it's not always pretty. In fact, and this is just in my own experience, and it may be in yours too, that if you haven't really had very recently a time to be able to come before God and just say, listen, God, this is what I actually have been lately, and I'm very sorry. The moments that I have thought that I was handling things the best were the moments that the junk was piled the highest. And it all revolves right back to who we're praying to. Because otherwise, it's kind of like this process of us wanting to hoard the junk that's inside of our own proverbial houses, and we don't want to take it outside to the bigger trash can, and we don't want to take it out to the curb, because, you know, in our minds, I think in a certain sense, we don't know if that garbage man is coming to actually get it. We don't think about the fact that there's, you know, somebody who actually wants to remove this stuff from our lives. And instead, we feel like we're just told over and over and over again just to put it out there. Put it out there. Put it out there. You know, maybe somebody will take care of it, but you've got to put it out there. We don't think about who it is that we're giving it to. And I mean, seriously, if we're not doing that, then what on earth? Who are we kidding? Who are we kidding? And I want you guys to lean in for this part. Why are we even here? I know that sounds like a very rhetorical question, but I mean, genuinely, why are we here? Are we here to do the thing that kind of has happened a lot in Western culture, where going to church is just kind of synonymous with us saying that we're a good person? 
I mean, if that's the case, then why on earth do we have it in Matthew 11, 28? Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. It seems like you gotta at the very least acknowledge that you're weary and burdened before you even come to him, before he's gonna give you rest. How long are we gonna keep on walking through those front doors out there and keep on carrying everything on our shoulders? Like all of our burdens, like all of our troubles, like everything that we deal with in life is some kind of badge of honor. Something we keep around so that we were able to show somebody how strong we are. I really do get it. Because me being 21 now, and somebody wants to go into ministry, I've always kind of had this thought in my head that wherever I go, leadership is something I need to be a part of, and if I'm not part of leadership wherever I'm at, then I'm not growing. I'm not moving forward. I'm just kind of a sitting duck there, and I'm probably wasting that something that somebody's given me, or I'm not using everything to its fullest potential. In fact, I actually applied at Evangel University to be in charge of an entire dorms on-campus ministry. It's called Crosswalk. I applied to be in charge of the entire dorms discipleship. It was me and another student who was one year younger than me. I didn't get it. I got all the way to the end of the process and I've seen leadership and thought of it as my burden. It would be special and it would be heavy, but darn it, it would be mine. And a wise woman once recently told me this story. It's more of a metaphor, really. That she said, if I walk up and I'm holding this cup that's filled to the brim with hot coffee and you bump into me, and it spills all over me. And somebody asks, well, how'd you get all that hot coffee on your shirt? I might be tempted to say it's because you bumped into me. You bumped into me and you caused it to be able to spill onto me and now I'm upset. When the fact is hot coffee spilled on me because there was coffee in the cup. And I think that's so often here, even in church, we kind of find this weird situation where we're kind of walking with our glass that's filled to the brim of a bunch of stuff that we're dealing with, but it's our good person club here, you know? It's our good person club. And that whenever, like, you get into these privileged conversations with people where it's able to get into what youth group do you go to is almost like your little badge of honor. And so whenever you get here, you're like, oh, it's my responsibility to be a good person here. And so you have all this stuff that's built up from your week. All this stuff that's built up. And sometimes you get a little bit self-conscious, but it's okay because everybody else is doing it too. You walk around, and you're not going to spill anything. You're not going to say anything. You're not going to look up from what you're doing. Because you've got to make sure this doesn't spill on you. You've got these nice clothes. And you've done a really good job at being able to show everybody throughout the week that you're a good person. But now you're at the club, so you've got a lot of people to impress. And so nobody's getting close to each other. 
We're all keeping a good radius from each other because we don't want to spill anything. And we don't want anybody else to spill anything. Because can you imagine if somebody spilled anything of ours and then it spilled onto us, how angry we'd get? How angry we'd get whenever it seems like everything just kind of spills over? And you think that you've finally been vulnerable with somebody and then you just get kind of mad because nobody else is doing it either. No. The fact is the design of church was supposed to be a community and it was supposed to be a tight-knit community because if I'm close enough to you, there's not a chance I'm gonna be able to keep this as full as it is. It's gonna spill out, but the fact is it's okay. The marks of Jesus himself were the holes in his hands, his feet, and in his side from when he was crucified. That's something that happened to criminals. And to his disciples, that was something that marked him to be the son of God. I think that one huge thing that happens whenever we think about who God is, that it's also kind of inadvertently tied to this idea of what his will is. What is God's will for my life? Where am I going to go to college? You know? Or even whenever, have you guys ever tried praying for healing for somebody and you go through that weird, awkward dance of, I pray you're healed, but if it's God's will, but I really want it to happen, but if it's God's will, please let it happen, but if it's God's will. Now tell me, for any of you, any of you that knows somebody close to you who loves you, who takes care of you, how often do you ask if it's their will that you eat dinner? That you have clothes to wear? That you're able to go to school? How often do you kind of question that? If the answer's not often, that's a good and okay thing to say. Now granted, I don't know if it's necessarily always God's will that every person be healed. Because sometimes it's not. I'm not God. I'm not going to tell him how to do his job. He's been doing it fine for this entire time. I got no critiques personally. I don't know if it's God's will that every single time you pray for an A on the test that you actually get an A. But what I do know is that it's God's will that you ask. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts. Lead us not into temptation. It doesn't seem to be our business to try to figure out whether something's going to happen, but it is our business to ask for it. But I think that this is just a natural outworking of us diving into who it is that God is rather than everything, the what's, trying to figure out what we should pray for. It's a question that I even had to wrestle with recently. Because if I'm being completely honest, this position I was turned down for, it wasn't the first rejection I've ever received from anything. I can guarantee y'all it's not going to be my last. But I keep on seeing time and time again that whenever I'm able to just come to God and be honest and say, listen God, 
I feel as though I messed up. I feel like you called me into this really kind of great thing. And that you kind of gave me the reins. And I let you down. I feel like at the end of every single day, most days, I feel like whenever I'm able to actually honestly come before God, a lot of them, I just kind of lay down what I've got and I'm like, I don't understand why on earth you want any of this. Y'all, I've been studying the Bible for two years out of evangel, but it's still the biggest mystery in the world as to why God wants this crud that I shake off at the end of the day. It's every part of me. I give what I think is my good with my bad, and at this point I've learned to just kind of drop it all. Drop it all in his presence. See what he's got for me next. And some days he gives me something new, and I almost feel myself saying in my head, I can't wait to see how I'm going to mess this one up. But as we get ready to go into a little time of reflection and prayer of trying to figure out and dive into who it is that God is, I want us to think back to that song I mentioned. The chorus reads like this, for those of you who forgot. If the soul is darkened by a fear it cannot name, and if the mind is baffled when the rules don't fit the game, who will answer? Who will answer? Who will answer? Hallelujah. 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 He sings hallelujah. And for those of you who don't know, it translates from Hebrew to mean worship Yahweh or worship God. He still sings praises because when he asks who will answer, and he's able to know that the God of every situation is able to answer and wants to answer him exactly where he's at. He can't help but be baffled himself and just say hallelujah. Praise God. Because the price has already been paid for everything I've done. It's not my bill to pay. I don't need to sign my name in blood. It's already been done. And so I feel like we've done a good job lately of kind of building on this culture here in worship where we're able to kind of spread out in the room and we're able to kind of have our own moment with God. And for some of you, that's the way that you grow best. That's fantastic. And I don't want to try to tell you that the way that you grow close to God is necessarily insufficient. I know that this is probably a little bit bold to ask because, you know, we don't typically do this here. But sometimes the question of who will answer is not answered immediately. And so we ask for comfort. And Jesus said, I am sending someone after you. He calls him the comforter, the Holy Spirit. That even in the midst of our trouble, we can sometimes feel like we don't have the answer to our situation at all but still we feel a weird peace. If you feel as though you haven't really had a chance to be able to dive in 
to who God is and the fact that he does want good for you. And if you haven't just been honest with him, you don't even gotta tell us what's going on. Let us pray with you, please. You wanna hear a grown man plead? Fine, please. Please let us pray for you. Because for some of you, just being able to stand in the back, be on your knees, or sitting in the windows, or hiding in the little doorways, I know you guys do it. You ain't slick. For some of you, that's the place where you're able to encounter God, but for some of you, that's the place where you're gonna feel most lonely in a community of people that's meant to tell you that you aren't. So I'll be up here. Leaders will come up here as people come up to be prayed over. I don't know if it's God's will that everything in your life be made so much easier. But it's our job to pray that it is. So we're gonna pray as if what we can pray over you can move mountains. We hope you enjoyed the sermon. If you want to find out more about our youth ministry or any other ministry here at Evangel Temple, you can visit our website at etchurch.org. Thanks for listening, and we hope to see you soon.